0: Well, hey everyone, good morning. Good morning. Okay, my name's Andrew, I'm one of the pastors here and I'm delighted uh, to, now as the kids go down to have their time of gathering around Jesus, we get to have our own time as grownups. We're gonna gather around Jesus through his word and have him speak to us. And as we do so, I have a question for you. Have you ever felt like what you're trying to communicate to someone is falling on deaf ears? Have you ever wanted to communicate a message and in the give and take of that conversation, it just becomes so obvious. The message is not getting through. We've been trying to teach our kids uh, how to wake up quietly in the morning. Uh, I have one kid who's 15 months. Uh, My son Eli is four and my daughter Zoe is five and we've been working on that for like a long time. Let me just walk you through my morning yesterday. I woke up way too early to the sound of like caveman steps reverberating through the house. My son Eli has a strong footfall. Sounds like someone's beating a drum. And he comes into our room and he's just ready to start the day. And so I I tell him, you know, Eli, you can go to your room and play quietly. So what does he do? He just drums off to his room and starts making all this racket, the noise of his play getting started. And then 30 seconds later, you hear slightly lighter footfalls, this pitter-patter of my daughter. She comes into our room and I tell her, I know you're excited to get started on the day, but just go and play with Eli quietly. Emphasis on the quietly. So she goes off and we start hearing the excitement of them together. They're playing spaceships and rockets and things are falling. Cars are flying uh, onto the ground and making a big crash sound. And then you hear the voice of a 15-month-old calling for mama. And you know your day has started, (laughs) whether you like it or not. As parents of young kids, I feel like every day there are countless times where I'm trying to communicate a message or give direction. And my kids can hear that there are sounds coming from my mouth. But they are not hearing me. Can you relate? I think there are times when God feels like that too. I think that our God is a God who is speaking and, and always speaking. And that there are times when we're not understanding. And here we have Jesus in Luke's gospel He's been going around Galilee, traveling and bringing a message. And it's a good message, right? We've been hearing about this message of incredible hope and liberation. He's going around telling people, hey, the time has finally come. God is putting things back together again. And he's doing it in and through me. And as we've been tracking in the story of Luke, you've probably wondered, why aren't more people getting it? Why aren't more people hearing him, like really hearing him? Why aren't more people responding to his word with faith? And you might be wondering that today as you look around in the world if you're a Christian. Why aren't more of my friends at school responding to Jesus? Why aren't my colleagues responding? Why are people so hostile and hard towards news which I have discovered is just so good? What's going on? And what Jesus says today as we continue our journey through Luke, it's gonna shed light on this question. So I invite you to, to open a Bible. We're gonna to turn to Luke chapter eight, verses one to 18. And if you didn't bring a Bible, you can use one of the Blue, blue Pew Bibles and you can find our text on page 839. Have that out uh, as we enter into this text this morning because we're gonna be referring to it a lot. And let's... Open our ears, because what we are about to hear is God's word. Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 1 through to verse 18. And I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. Soon afterwards, he began going around from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some woman who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary, who was called Magdalene, "'from whom seven demons had gone out, "'and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, "'and many others were contributing to their support "'out of their private means. "'When a large crowd was coming together "'and those from the various cities were journeying to him, "'he spoke by way of a parable. "'The sower went out to sow his seed. "'And as he sowed, some fell beside the road, "'and it was trampled underfoot.' and the birds of the air ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky soil, and as soon as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. Other seed fell into the good soil and grew up and produced a crop a hundred times as great. As he said these things, he would call out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. His disciples began questioning him as to what the parable meant, and he said, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it's in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Those beside the road are those who have heard, then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart, so that they will not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no firm root. They believe for a while, and yet a time of temptation fall away. The seed which fell among the thorns are the ones who have heard, and as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. But the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. Now no one after lighting a lamp covers it over with a container or puts it under a bed, but he puts it on a lampstand so that those who come in may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not become evident, nor is anything secret that will not be known or come to light. So take care how you listen, for whoever has, to him more shall be given. And whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, shall be taken away from him. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come and that you would give us eyes to see and ears to understand what you are saying to your church through this text. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would bring us into your heart, that we might share in the delight that you have for your son, Jesus. And Jesus, I ask that you would renew and transform us to be fully devoted and faithfully engaged disciples. I pray this in your name, amen. Our text opens this morning with a summary of what Jesus is doing. As I've mentioned, he's going around bringing the message of the kingdom. And at this point, it's so unfortunate that I can only briefly mention how significant it is that Luke mentions three women of faith and many others who are traveling around with the 12 disciples and Jesus and supporting them from their own pockets. But now if you look in verse four, Large crowds are gathering from different towns. Jesus is drawing lots of interest, right? This is a spotlight moment. And he uses this moment to share a parable that offers a commentary of how it is that he's getting this mixed response. If you've been journeying with us, you'll remember that when he went to his hometown, Nazareth, <laughs> that, that, uh, that time didn't end very well, did it? It ended with everyone in the town bringing Jesus to a cliff and they wanted to toss him off the cliff. Others of you will know that Jesus has been imposed by the religious leaders of his day. And others of you will know like this this Roman centurion and the woman that we explored two weeks ago who comes to Jesus weeping and washing his feet with her tears and hairs. Others are responding to him in faith. And so now Jesus is taking the opportunity to tell us, here's what's going on. Here's why this is happening. And so we're gonna camp out in this parable for a bit. It opens, the sower went out to sow his seed. And in verse 11, he tells us that seed is the word. It's the word of God. God's word is being spread out. That's what God is doing in Jesus, proclaiming that good news. And, and not just to some people and not just in some places, right? He's, he's going out to all kinds of people. He's going out to villages uh, and, and towns, small towns, big towns alike, Verse five, as he sowed, some fell beside the road and it was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air ate it up. The issue with the first soil is that it's hard, right? Uh, A a soil that is alongside the road is, is not meant for seed, right? It's meant for feet and feet go by and make it hard. And Jesus explains this in verse 12. He says, those beside the road are those who have heard and the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they won't believe and be saved. This hard soil hears the word, but it has nowhere to enter in. And it just kind of stays on the surface and doesn't, isn't welcomed in to do what it's meant to do. And, and that's really our default posture as, as humans toward God. That unless God's grace breaks through our hardness, our default stance is rebellion and hostility. That's the human condition of sin that has infected us all. That's where we all start. And when the word of God meets that person, uh, it doesn't get received. And then birds come. What's this about birds? Birds. These birds swoop down and eat the seeds and Jesus likens these birds to the devil and he's reminding us, listen, in this equation of the sower and the seed and the soil, we have an enemy to reckon with. That there is an enemy who is just waiting to take up word that, the word that is not received and to steal it away. And this enemy has lots of helpers. This enemy has many helpers, things that come at us on a daily basis that have the potential to harden us based on how we respond, right? It's it's the path of least resistance when I'm going about my day that when someone rises up and is hostile toward me, what do I do? I rise up as well. I harden myself because in the world, might is right and if you don't stand up for yourself, you're just a doormat. Or maybe it's when you get hurt or you endure disappointments. The easiest thing to do is just to kind of let those disappointments and hurt fester into bitterness and hatred, right? You ruminate and it hardens you. Things come at us each day that the enemy wants to use to to keep us hard. And we can't help that these things come at us, but we can help how we respond. Martin Luther had this amazing saying. He said, you can't stop the birds from flying over your head, but you can stop them from making a nest in your hair. (laughs) Through Jesus and the liberation of his cross, you can make sure that those birds don't make a nest in your hair. In other words, that your sinful reflexes don't get hold of you and grip you and become part of you. The cross opens the way for us to to walk with Jesus in repentance and receive his forgiveness and walk in prayer and receive his healing and his grace on a daily basis that keeps us supple and responsive. It's like basic spiritual housekeeping, you know, clearing out the stuff that the enemy wants to latch onto and use to harm you. It's clearing out the rubbish. And if you're at a place in your journey where you feel like there's a lot of rubbish in your house, I'll commend to you a resource. There's a Spiritual Freedom Weekend coming up at the beginning of November and you'll be hearing more about that in the coming month. But that's an opportunity that we love to invite people to come and deal with some of that stuff that Satan wants to prey on in your life. So I commend that to you. The first soil is hard. Do you see this soil in yourself? Verse six. Other seed fell on rocky soil, and as soon as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And, and the rocky soil that Jesus is talking about was a common feature in the Middle East, where you'd get a thin layer of, of good soil sitting on top of a shelf of limestone. And at first, at the first part of the day, that soil is wet with the dew. It's soft; it can receive seed. And, and even Jesus says something springs up, but it's not deep. Enough. The problem with this soil is that it's shallow. Verse 13, he says, Those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And they have no firm root. They believe for a while, and in a time of temptation, they fall away. Do you see this soil in yourself? Shallowness can can take many forms in us. Uh, and in our walk with Christ, um, it can take the the shape of emotionalism, right? So notice how the soil receives the word with joy, right? Often in the Christian life, especially when you're starting out, there's this honeymoon period where everything is just going so well. There's a spring in your step and there's a lightness that you feel and some subtle shift can happen when you start uh, to prioritize the feeling and you're more interested in chasing the feeling and using God for a thrill rather than being used by God for his glory. And if, if all you are committed to and all you are seeking is a feeling, that time of temptation comes. And, and Jesus is talking about how when you give your allegiance to Jesus, it displaces all other allegiances. And so when, when you give your allegiance to Jesus, the world, you're gonna to start to feel this pressure from the world to turn away from what you've committed to in Christ. And if you're not committed to Christ himself, but you're committed to an emotion or a feeling when that time comes, you're gonna pull away. If all you have is emotionalism and you're not sustaining an active relationship with the living Christ, if you're not being formed In the scriptures, if you're not hearing his teaching and letting him reshape your mind and your heart, if you're not learning the discipline of prayer and the rhythm of worship, you're not going to last. Let me be clear emotions aren't a problem, emotionalism is. And so, by the way, is intellectualism. There are some of us who come to church and we remain on the level of the theoretical you come wanting your intellectual curiosities satisfied. You want pure propositional theologies without the contaminants of emotion and affect, right? Those awful, dirty things. And something about Christianity has appealed to you, right? There's good ideas coming at you, or there's a particular speaker that you really like, and and she's well-read, or he's well-read, and And you want to be rationally convinced before you'll ever take this or that step of obedience. If that's your approach, you might be more committed to ideas than to the person of Christ. Because if you're in a real relationship with someone and they ask you to do something that you don't fully understand, but you trust them implicitly, you've been spending time with them, you've been getting to know their character, they love you, you know they're out for your good, that when they ask you to do that thing, you can step out and do it based on trust and love, not because you've been fully convinced in your mind. Don't get me wrong, intellect isn't bad. Emotions aren't bad, their isms are. As a Christian, trouble will come to you because the gospel is news about a new kingdom that has come that is invading earth and the old kingdom, though defeated, will not go down without a fight. And if all you have is ideas or feelings, you won't last. Do you see this soil in yourself? Verse seven, other seed fell among the thorns and the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. The issue with the third soil and the thorny thicket is that it's cluttered. Right? Apparently the soil itself is good, but there's something else growing there. And it's taking away space and nutrients and and moisture and and light from what should be growing. Anyone a gardener here? Show of hands. Anyone love? You don't have to be a professional gardener, but you have some plants. Anyone? Okay. You know that when you clear, say, say, a box for a garden bed, Um, and you plant seed, you know what'll happen in that box if you plant your seed and you leave it for the entirety of the summer and you don't attend to it. What's going to happen? Weeds. Like It's incredible how in soil, like you you, you have what you wanted to grow, but then all of a sudden, all this other stuff bursts up into life where you thought it was just your seed. And you need to weed it. You need to take away those undesirable plants. It's the same with us. Jesus spells this out in verse 14. The seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who've heard. And as they go on their way, they're choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. Didn't Jesus just hit the, the nail on the head there? Worries and riches and the pleasures of this life. Right? These are the things that clutter our hearts and choke the word. And they compete with Jesus for that central place in our lives. Or they distract us, right? Because if you're distracted, that, that's just as good, right? If you're distracted from your goal, you're distracted from Jesus, that's just as good. And this can be something that's like an outright practice of sin in your life. But it can also be things that aren't bad in themselves, Things that maybe you really enjoy, but that maybe you enjoy too much, right? And and they're starting to get a grip on you. Um, And and, and it's something that you think, oh, I'd have a really hard time living without that. It could be our kids. We could be too preoccupied with our kids and make our kids into an idol. It could be money. It could be food and drink. It could be sex, So a diagnostic question as we think about what clutter we might have in ourselves is this. What do you think about most in your day? Where does your mind constantly turn, like, automatically? Are you always worrying about money or about your kids or your grandkids or about your mortgage or about the renovation or about having the latest and greatest or about having the most beautiful space or the fastest car do you need to be constantly entertained there's another one leisure and entertainment do you need to be constantly entertained whether it's netflix social media sports or video games Here's a scary question. Can you spend four hours away from your device without breaking out in hives? What's the clutter in your life? What's distracting you from being wholeheartedly given over and surrendered to Jesus? What's standing in the way of you spending more time in the awareness of his presence and in prayer? Do you see this soil in yourself? Verse eight, other seed fell into the good soil and grew up and produced a crop a hundred times as great. And then in verse 15, he explains it, but the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. There's three features of this good soil I want us to notice. First, notice the preposition in verse eight. This seed fell into the good soil, into. All the other seeds fell alongside of or on top of or among, this seed goes into the soil. It's receptive. This soil is an honest and good heart, Jesus says. He's not saying it's an honest and good heart by nature. It's an honest and good heart by grace. It's been made good. Second thing I want us to notice is that this soil, Jesus says, hears the word and holds fast to it. Holds fast to the word. Good soil people don't neglect hearing the word in their daily life. There's an active clinging to, an active receiving of the word, and not just receiving it, but of staking your life on it. There's no sidestepping this one. We need to devote ourselves to the reading and the hearing of the scriptures if we're gonna bear fruit. Third, notice that the good soil perseveres. It bears fruit with perseverance Our culture values the instant fix so highly. I mean, instant is a catchphrase in the marketing world. Instant this, instant that. Someone brought me an Instapot meal this week. Uh, It's an instant meal. It's amazing. But when we start to carry that over into our theology and our following of Jesus, um, we start to think, and and here I'll speak to my generation especially, we start to think um, that everything should just be easy for me. Right? That life should be clearly laid out and as I walk without any resistance, fruit and flowers and stuff should just spring up from the ground beneath my feet. Seriously, Jesus is telling us you only bear fruit with perseverance. And some of us need to hear that gentle but firm call this morning because it takes perseverance to follow Jesus, to deny yourself and take up your cross. It takes perseverance to deal with the pressures that are gonna come at you because of your allegiance to him. It takes perseverance to resist the devil. It takes perseverance to deepen in your understanding of God's story and his instruction. It takes perseverance to clear out the clutter that competes with Jesus for the throne of your heart. And this morning, if you feel like you're at the end of, of perseverance and that you need perseverance, I just encourage you, fix your eyes on Jesus, right? This isn't something where he's asking you to pick yourself up from your bootstraps. He wants to empower you. He wants to give you his own perseverance. So just come to him and ask. And many of us in this room are way further along in the journey and you're looking back on years and decades of persevering by God's grace. And I just wanna say thank you for your example and I would encourage you, be attentive to, to who those might be in your life and in this church that you can come alongside of. And just put your arm around and say, hey, I know that you're at the end of yourself. I know that right now following Jesus feels like death, but it's worth it. I have seen, I have tasted, I know the joy and the life that Jesus brings. I just encourage you to do that. Come alongside someone and support them. We're not alone in this. And we, needs God, we need God's help and the help of one another. So what's the point of this parable? Should we now pause and, and try and analyze ourselves and figure out which of the four soils I am? Maybe. But I don't think it's a matter of one person being one kind of soil. I think it's a matter of all of us seeing all of these soils in us to one degree or another. And as we stand in this parable and as we stand under the words of Jesus, he wants us to hear what he says in verse 18. Verse 18, look at that. He says, consider carefully how you hear. That is a command. Consider carefully how you hear. And that's not often something we pause and do, right? In the course of your day, you don't pause and say, how am I hearing? But Jesus is saying, pause. Notice, take inventory. And I want to make this really tangible for us today as Jesus gives this command. Here's three questions, and you can, you can take a picture with your phone or just jot them down quickly to, to take into a time of prayer and reflection with the Lord. Where's my hardness? What are those areas where I'm not letting the word come in? How am I shallow? What are the ways that I need to deepen my commitment and trust in Jesus himself and not all these other things? And what is my clutter? What are my sins? What are my idolatrous tendencies or my distractions that are choking the word? I encourage you to explore these questions with Jesus, honestly, because he knows you already and you're not any more screwed up than he already knows you are. And once you've done that, even feel free to share that with a spouse. Share that with a close friend. Share that with your kids. Because they might want an explanation for your actions in the previous week, but why you flipped out at them. Do that work. Consider carefully. Jesus concludes in verse 18. Whoever has, more will be given, and whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, will be taken away from him. What does that mean? He's not talking about money. He's not talking about possessions. He's talking about having himself. He's talking about knowing that Jesus is God's king and that he's bringing the kingdom. That's what the, the knowledge of the mysteries or the secrets of the kingdom of God is. I've heard people take that and go, oh, there's this whole string of esoteric knowledge that you need to like strive to attain. No, it's about Jesus. Jesus is the secret. He is the secret. And when you have Jesus, you have everything. And the the future promise of continuing to receive everything that is Christ to those who have, more will be given. But on the flip side, if you're indifferent and hard and you reject Jesus, God is gonna respect your choice. And when you keep the king of kings out of your life, you're gonna find out that one day you're on the outside and that you chose that all along. But God wants you to believe and be saved. Listen to what Fred Craddock, a New Testament scholar, says. He says, those who lean forward to hear, who invest trust and commitment, who come to the altar of the word, seeking, asking, hungering, these are the ones to whom more will be given. And those who think they already know, who acknowledge no blindness, who listen with ears that register only likes and dislikes, who fold the arms across the chest waiting to be convinced or entertained, who want information without obligation. These are the ones who discover painfully that even what they thought they had has been taken away. Do we have ears to hear this morning? This morning, Jesus wants us to pay attention to how we're hearing, but there's one more thing. He wants us, like his disciples do in this story, to come to him and ask. To come to him and ask for understanding. Nobody there got the parable. And out of all those crowds, who is it that presses into Jesus? It's his disciples. That's why they are given the knowledge. So come to Jesus. Jesus is the great preacher who brings us good news that God has come to set all things right in him. He has come to do what we could not do for ourselves. He has delivered us from sin and death. He's reconciled us back to the Father who loves us and he's brought us into eternal and abundant life. And to do this, he died. Jesus died on the cross because of us. He died on the cross on behalf of us and he died on the cross for us, the message of God's incredible love embodied in Christ, that's what breaks through our defenses. That's what draws us into the love of God. May we respond to this good news with soft hearts and with obedience and faith. Amen? Amen. I want to ask those who are serving communion to come forward as we prepare to come to the table of the Lord.